Hello there. we will reveal ourselves to the jedi at last we will have revenge hello there welcome to a podcast about star wars shatterpoint and the star wars universe my name is jesse aiken and i'm joined by my co-host amon kusro how are we doing today amon jesse we're doing well i would like to apologize to you and all of our listeners in advance because my normally sultry baritone voice might sound a little bit more enhanced today And that's only because I am recovering from a strep throat. Word to the wise, if your friend says that it's okay for you to come over, despite the fact that their kid is sick, do not go. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, for sure. I actually don't invite people over either. It's like, we're just in a quarantine zone until that's passed. But I feel for you, you know, as podcasters, us losing our voice is so tough because there's only so much we can do. You guys have heard my voice over the years take its dips on this very show as well. You can only do so much, but most of it's just the passing of time with rest and lots of tea and lots of hydration. So much tea. Well, Amon, maybe you're channeling your Inno Dathomirian today because we are talking about the Witches of Dathomir box, which is very exciting. Yeah, I feel like they brew a lot of tea. So this is my, this is Dathomir and Amon today. This is Night Brother Amon. Hello there. <laughs> Before we get into this today's topic, because we want to jump right in because we're so excited about this box, we have a couple people to thank. Absolutely. Hello there is supported by our patrons at patreon.com slash hello there cast. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us and joining our awesome Discord community. Conversations have been ramping up because Ahsoka just came out. We have our league as well with 22 players. And our next round of the league, or our next season, if you will, is going to be even more than that. So we're super excited. And so we want to thank all of our patrons for their support. It's just made this whole community, this game, this process so much more fulfilling. 100%. And I love every time I see notifications at Discord and get to jump in and talk with everybody. And like Amon mentioned, the league just ended our second league. It was a great turnout and great representation of the meta and our players. And We'd love to have you in the next league. So if you're interested at all, now is the small window we have to sign up before the next league. And all it is is once you join the Patreon, immediately add you into the Discord. And then once you're in the Discord, you just go down to the league tab and you'll see all the information there. So if you're interested in getting in our, into our next league, I think our leagues I'm on are my favorite of all the leagues locally and the greater TTS leagues because everyone's on the same page with having a good time, but everyone's also like wanting to get good games in. So it's like this perfect balance of like, competitive and also having fun and then also we've lifted the restriction per se that we did the first league where we did premier format and we're just letting people play whatever they want each round and which is excellent because every time amg drops new boxes out into the world you can start playing them in the tts mod even earlier sometimes which is great it's a great way to learn things you might want to purchase or play in the future in our league and then you can be like oh maybe i should go pick up the cad bang box now or something like that so it's also a great tool for that completely agree Speaking of patrons, I would like to just give a quick shout out to our three new patrons. We have Reef City Cartel, who signed at the Padawan and Acolyte level. We have Brennan and we have Miro SJO, who have both signed on at the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior tier. Thank you so much for your support. We're excited to share our very first hello there is with you. Thank you guys so much. It means a lot. You guys keep the show going and we got a lot of plans. So the more patrons we get, we can hopefully achieve these plans I'm on, but continuing and to thank our patrons closing the section out, got to thank our producers. That's Rusty, Rich, and Brady. And then we have to thank our ultimate executive producer, 
Sith Emperor Kevin. Thank you, Emperor Kevin, for all you do for the galaxy. I am going to say that because I'm Team Talzin on today's episode, Emperor Kevin doesn't like Talzin. No, no. His one true threat that he saw. It's a very, very true threat, and we'll get to that today in lore. So it's very exciting. Of course, we got to thank our sponsors of the show. We got to thank Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site, where you can find all your Shatterpoint needs, and you can check out his pre-orders for boxes that are coming in the future. If you want to get Shatterpoint product from Mr. Laser, you can use our code HelloThere5 at checkout. That's the number five and get 5% off of his already discounted rates. Also, that code applies to non-Shatterpoint stuff as well, including, most importantly, his products like his trays and accessories for games like Shatterpoint and Marvel Christ Protocol. So definitely check out Mr. Laser. Absolutely. And in addition to Mr. Laser, we also have a partnership with Imperial Terrain your premier source of Star Wars-themed terrain for Star Wars tabletop games such as Legion and Shatterpoint. If you use the code HelloThere5, again, that's the number five, all lowercase, no spaces, you can get 5% off all of their digital STL files. It's an amazing deal because they have some of the highest quality terrain out there, period, let alone Star Wars terrain, and I highly recommend you check it out. Some of their sets like Fractured City, are fully integratable and modular with the Shatterpoint core box terrain. And then, of course, if you're looking to play outside of the cities, they have some great terrain through their Vilni Village, which is a Tatooine-esque setup, as well as the Forest Moon, which is kind of like Endor. Yeah, kind of like Endor, where you can make it Kashyyyk if you want. A lot of those forest city environments, I guess, you know, which is great. It's my personal favorite, of course. I've, I've touted on the podcast a lot, so... Highly recommend Imperial Terrain and use that code and start printing some terrain to give yourself more interesting Shatterpoint boards. Absolutely. Well, Jesse, let's get into this box, man. I'm very excited about talking about this box today. So we're going to start off with talking real briefly about what magic is. You know, we've heard this in other fantasy lore and stuff like that. And, you know, it's also, you know, magic. It's, you know, but we know the spelling. Basically, it's shadow magic or force magic in this universe or force sorcery. It was an aspect of the force and supernatural techniques that allowed practitioners of it to wield great powers connected to the dark side of the force. Most notably, the Night Sisters, which we're going to talk about today, were wielders of the magic. But also, we talk about this in Legends a lot too with other groups. What's interesting about it is it offered force from both the dark and the light side, right? The Night Sisters mainly channeled the dark side aspect of it. It usually manifested as green energy. It's also called Ikor and the old lore, and it's been in KOTOR a lot. A lot of lore there with this like connection, magic connection with the force. The Night Sisters use it to create deception, illusions, manipulations, resurrection. Crazy, right? They, they can manipulate other living things, cells and blood this is like part of it as well because a lot of this is not so much the force the way a jedi or a sith tap into the force it's more druidy kind of it's like the way the the people the wielders of this type of force they're more tapping into like the living force and they're using the living force to manipulate things rather than being a jedi or sith who's like a conduit of the force a living embodiment of the force right especially the jedi right this is a little bit different. This is more like they have access to like the, the spirit realm and then the earth realm as a tool and they can pull from it. It's just a little bit different. It's just a little bit different from like a Sith or a Jedi being like full of the force in a way. You know, I mean, this is more like they can manipulate the living force as a tool for themselves through this magic, which is completely different from Jedi and Sith, which is super cool because today we're going to talk about our first instance of 
I guess, non-Jedi or Sith Force users, because even, you know, we've talked about the Sith Inquisitors and stuff as well recently, but it's like, that's still within our Jedi and Sith purview, right? So today we're fully like Jedi Sith agnostic, which is very cool. Look, man, I believe the Force is a tool that is supposed to help you, whether you are using the light side of it or the dark side of it. It is this energy. And so we're not here to discriminate. Okay. And I love how the Night Sisters specifically rely on a more of a raw version of the force, if you will, if that's even such a thing. Right. And I think it's very fascinating because it does bring another aspect of that world building, that mythos to Star Wars and that the force, while it is this thing that exists through all living creatures and it's, you know, neither past nor present and always flowing through time. It's just really cool to see how people, specifically sentient beings, are able to manipulate powers. And like, you know, you think about all these awesome RPGs or yes. even D&D, right? Where it's like technically wizards, warlocks, and sorcerers all cast magic, but how they do it and how they utilize it and where they get their power from is different. And so I really like that same concept thriving in Star Wars. 100%. Well said. Yeah, this is very warlock for sure. I'm on. But it's also very druid-esque because a lot of their force is like their spirit pulling the force from the environment they're in, right? So it's just a little bit different. Understanding of the magic, well, when we talk about Mother Talzin and the Night Sisters, and even Savage, who literally is created through this magic in a way, like he's or, you know, he's recreated. So we'll talk about that in a moment, but I just wanted to explain how their force works because it's very different. And hopefully a lot of you are tuning into this episode that might not know about this part of Star Wars because also, Amon, this is our first episode I feel like we've done that's like completely out of the movies, away from the movies and stuff, not even adjacent, right? Very exciting to talk non-live action today. So let's talk about Mother Talzin and lore. She was a Dathomirian witch, and today we're talking about all the witches of Dathomir, of remarkable power and influence. Now, what's interesting is she was the leader of the Night Sisters. She wasn't initially the leader of the Night Sisters. She had to ascend to this spot through trials and tribulations in her life and the old mother passing away. That's in her past. But today we're going to talk about her specific role in the Clone Wars. She had a secretive clan of these Force-sensitive witches under her, residing on the planet Dathomir. Of course, she had a mastery of the dark side that was kind of like unparalleled almost by any Sith. What's interesting about that is I just explained to you how they use the dark side completely differently, right? They're like pulling it from the air kind of like and using it as a tool. It's not like the dark side's being 100% channeled through them all the time like a Sidious would, right? So this is very different. It's very unique. The fact that she has this mastery of the dark side without even being a Sith is crazy. It's awesome. She was born, of course, on the planet Dathomir, and it's known for being a planet of Force-sensitive individuals. The Night Sisters, of course, live there. And I talked about how Talzin becomes their leader. I guess real quick, before we talk about like more of her history, she's pretty unique. Amon, she is extremely tall. She's over seven feet tall. She's got this pale face and this like really gaunt body, and then she's got her long witch hands and then these amazing robes. And she's so powerful, she always seems to be shrouded in magic a little bit sometimes, right? She when even when she's just not fighting and stuff like that. So I think that's pretty cool of her look. She had an otherworldly presence, which always like shocks people when they first meet her, right? Because she's even a little bit different from the rest of the Night Sisters. Very striking appearance, right? Let's move on to like a little bit of her story in Star Wars. So if we go back many years before episode one, she's rose to power and become this leader of the Night Sisters through this history. And her son, Maul, is taken away from her by Sidious. So this is going to be a core tenet of things that happened to her in her life. But it's also going to tie us directly to her in the Star Wars canon because we know Maul so well. And he's such a pivotal role in the prequels and the Clone Wars. So let's rewind a little bit. Sidious becomes aware of her through the Force, right? 
he had, he's like, I have to go check this out. And he wants their power. He wants the witch's power and Talzin kind of like keeps him away. And this is book comic canon, right? But the story is very like much different from whoever tells it. So through Talzin's point of view, Sidious took Maul instead of like taking their power from them, right? He just took Maul as a gift for himself. Sidious's story is that Talzin gave Maul up to Sidious so they would have like sort of a truce with the dark side and they could work with each other in the future potentially if they needed to. Talzin also knows Sidious's plan to take over the galaxy, which is very threatening to him because she's like seen into his mind through the well of the force, which is just pure insanity. She also, in addition to like her tapped into the dark side of the force, like she has this orb. It's like a Palantir from Lord of the Rings, right? Like, like Saruman has, or, you know, the dark Lord himself has. And with that Palantir, she can see all Dathomirians anywhere they are in the galaxy, what they're doing. She can literally like within seconds, see where they're at, find them, even like connect to them through that. So she has this like reach of the entire galaxy, right? As long as Dathomirians might be in different places, she has more of a reach. So also you've got to keep that on your mind where it's like, oh, the whole time Maul was with Sidious, she could have just like tapped in and seen what Sidious was doing to him while he was training him and stuff and made him going through really rigorous training as a child. She also felt Maul's death on Naboo, Maul's initial death, which was not a true death, but she did feel it in the force. So that's kind of like her initial lore before we get into the Clone Wars itself. What I find really interesting about the whole relationship with Darth Sidious is that, you know, he noticed her first as someone that he could learn from, right? He, she taught him how to utilize, you know, these Dathomirian techniques of magic or magic, right? Yeah, exactly. And he originally planned to take her as his apprentice, which is crazy. And then, of course, yeah, that's not going to work, though. <laughs> Right. Well, what he realizes is that she may actually very well be stronger than him, or at the very least, his equal. 100%. Again, depending on the point of view thing that you mentioned. But I'd like to think from Sidious's perspective, well, A, I'm going to take her son. He's probably just as gifted because it's her child, but then also this will weaken her mental state, which will allow me to have leverage over her in the future, right? Like he's always thinking years and years ahead. And so that to me is insane. It is insane. It's actually amazing, the relationship, because you see more of the Sidious long game, too, because Duke is going to become a major player in the story. And it's this interplay between all of them where it's like, no, you're double crossing him and you're double crossing her. And she double cross, but like they're all working with each other behind each other's backs. Right. I think Talzin's known from the very beginning that when he took Maul at a very young age, that I think she did it as a way to manipulate Sidious. Sidious thinks he's manipulating her. But she's like, literally, oh, he thinks I'm weak now, sort of thing, you know, or that I don't have my son. And I also think that maybe she thought wrongfully, I'll sacrifice my son or rightfully, she might have thought he'll come back to me one day and we'll help overthrow Sidious, you know. But it's very interesting, all very long game, right? And especially because I didn't mention Mother Talzin is ageless. Don't know how old she is. She's just like one of those millennia type characters, potentially. So, and we're going to learn too about the Night Sisters, how they really don't truly even pass on, which is very unique as well. They kind of always remain. So that's kind of the the basis of the relationship with her and Sidious and the Clone Wars itself. She mainly cares about protecting her Night Sisters and using the Force to protect her people and exert her will to help, help her people, which is very interesting. Definitely not as intense as the broad Sith plan of taking over the galaxy. I though think she probably had maybe plans in her mind that she could do that one day if she really wanted to, which is crazy, right? But she just didn't have these big overarching like galactic empire reign plans. It's more, it's more nature. It's more natural. 
So that's the starting point with the Maul thing. And then Maul grows up and, like I said, gets defeated at Naboo. She feels that. And now she's really mad at Sidious. Now she's really upset because she actually thinks he's dead, as Sidious thought, right? But then we get involved with Dooku. Now, what's super interesting about Dooku is Dooku, in the past as a Jedi, helped the Dathomirian people against pirates, protected them. It's the Dooku way, right? Like he, It doesn't matter what the people are. He's going he's gonna to help them especially as a Jedi Dooku. And so he formed a relationship with her back then. Very interesting, right? I don't even know if Dooku knew how dark side adept they were at that time. But by the time we get to see Dooku in the Clone Wars, Dooku knows fully that Talzin's there. He's kind of figured out once again, maybe he's had more of a Sith mastery of the force. He's tapped in just like Sidious does. He feels her in the dark side. Okay. Now we got this multi-relationship going on. What's interesting about Dooku is her and Dooku are like become mortal enemies in a lot of ways because they're both vying for Sidious's attention or like vying for the ability to, like I said earlier, double cross Sidious first in a way. Meanwhile, Sidious is trying to double cross them as well, right? Sidious is always planning for another apprentice. He's always steps ahead, right? So I think at one point, what's really interesting, Talzin tells Dooku literally like, Sidious has a plan. He's going to get rid of you, you know? And Dooku's, no, it's the opposite, you know? Like, I'm the one who's staying. The new apprentices and stuff will be gone. And But I think eventually after a while, Dooku starts to learn it a little bit right towards the end of the Clone Wars, which is crazy. So it's interesting that Talzin gave him, she helped guide him on that path a little bit, right? And until we see Dooku all the way in Revenge of the Sith, when Palpatine says, do it, kill him now. And you look over at Dooku's face and it's the face of shock. It's like all these... All these dominoes of time have kind of lined up in his head, you know, and now it's too late, right? As he's being beheaded by the new Sith Lord, Anakin Skywalker. So what's interesting about Mother Talzin as well is Asajj obviously is a big part of this story. We talked about the Asajj episode, so I won't talk about it much today, but basically Asajj comes back. She gets reintegrated into the tribe and all this stuff, really gets in touch with who she was as a night sister. That's removed from Talzin as well. I mean, we we know Asajj is lost. We know Maul was lost the initial time. So like a lot is taken from the great mother here. I said the Dooku thing ramps up during the Clone Wars. It, it certainly does because Maul, Asajj, and great mother all eventually get back together, right? Great mother actually revives Maul in a way because we're going to talk about in the Savage section. Savage finds Maul, brings him to Great Mother. She heals him. Once again, like a warlock, anytime she does these major spells, like a mass heal or like a mass like spell, she loses a lot of her essence, even her physical essence, because she's once again, she's not actually a true Sith or Jedi. She's like pulling from the world itself, but it can eat her alive as well if she doesn't recharge, which is very interesting. And weird way she gets recharged too is if people die on Dathomir. <laughs> so it's very it's very warlock as well, right? But basically in her reviving mall, you know, he's back. She gives him his new robotic legs. She turns the spider legs into better robotic legs. She brings his muscles back, you know, she restores his health to full and she clears his mind of all the trauma of the years of him living in solitude. So very important to us on our show because we talk about Maul a lot, but also just like her role in this whole galaxy story because Maul's a huge role in that. Now Tensions with her and Dooku reach a height. She tries to have Dooku assassinated. He survives it. So Dooku sends Grievous, large contingent of the entire CIS army, to Dathomir. We're talking like more transports than went to Naboo. You know, <laughs> it's a lot. And Grievous leads a battle against her and her night sisters. Mother Talzin actually, like I said, expending a lot of power. She builds this giant bubble of, of the magic around her, defeats most of the droid army with this green Sith lightning in a way. And as this is happening, Talzin is killing Dooku through the force, through dark magic, through voodoo, 
and Dooku's dying of poisoning, and she's also stabbing little rods through a doll of Dooku that she's made as well, and he's dying. And Dooku's literally calling Grievous saying, you have to kill the mother, make this stop, or she will kill me. So she actually almost kills Dooku. Grievous finds Mother with one of the elders. Grievous kills the elder who was helping Mother channel this power and kills Mother's physical form in this battle but she of course dissipates like she always does and she can reform later the night sisters do eventually win the battle and grievous escapes but dooku survives right so that's the biggest thing what's interesting is this all comes full circle later and what's it's not in the clone wars which is really kind of a bummer but in a comic mother tells does reform again later yeah it's actually crazy you mentioned the the comic so the comic is known as son of dathomir and it's actually was designed to be part of Clone Wars season six, but due to some of the, I guess, budget the cuts rights. and uncertainty in the rights, you know, season six was cut short. And that's why it took so long for season seven to come. But this entire comic, which, guys, it's insane. If you're a fan of Dark Side or Darth Maul or Dooku, Sidious, Obi Wan, Grievous, Grievous, they're all in it. It's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. And you should read it. Because it culminates the final arc of the Dathomirians in a big way, especially Maul and Talzin. In the Clone Wars timeline, obviously, we know what happens to Lord Maul later in the future. Mm -hmm. But, dude, you guys have to read it. It's amazing. And it's just so sad that this was going to be actually part of season six. But because they just never made the episodes, they made it a comic. He said, the comic is beautiful. It's gorgeous. To me, it's a great travesty as well, because it's like, we were so close to seeing this in an animated form. Yeah, well, and I'll summarize it real quick. I mean, so Maul was revived, right? Now Maul has a brother, Savage. Talzin has his long game of Maul starting the Shadow Collective, right? And forming this whole mercenary meets dark side coalition, kind of. So Maul's got his Maul DeLoreans with him. He breaks all these Mandos out, gets them on his side, right? And then we get this final run. We get this final run of Maul, Talzin, Mandalorians versus like like you said, Sidious, like and like Grievous, finally dealing with Mother Talzin once and for all. At least that's what they think. And Talzin is killed by Grievous because it's not that Grievous bests her because he didn't even best her in the first fight. Shoot, Grievous didn't even best Asajj in some fights, right? She saves Maul and the Shadow Collective in a very heroic sort of way, which is interesting to say for a dark side character. She does the like, you know, the Gandalf Bridge of Casa Doom type thing, basically holds Grievous and everyone at back at bay, uses all her energy. And I talked about when she uses her powerful energy, it makes her weaker. Grievous comes in, shoves two sabers in her chest, and her physical form is no longer possible to come back at this point. At least it's what it seems. So she actually dies, her physical form. But as we're going to talk about today a little bit more, it's going to come up organically in conversations. It seems that Athamirian witches in particular never truly die. They're kind of like one with the force in a way. And they're always kind of there. And so much so in all the Dathomirian content that's come out since Clone Wars, Rebels, and of course the Jedi Survivor games in particular, there's an element of, you go to that place, you always feel like you're being watched. You always feel like there's a presence there, right? And it's probably the Great Mother mainly (laughs) because she's the strongest presence. But very cool, Amon. Something also I think is really cool about her in the lore that we didn't talk about when she speaks, it's her normal voice, but behind her normal voice is this deep, dark voice, which is is kind of like her tapped in with the spirit of the planet per se, or it's just her true inner spirit voice. They don't 
know what it is, but it's when she speaks and only the great mother has this voice, right? So it's the one who's tapped in the most with all the elements we've talked about today, but she's a really incredible character. It's, it's so interesting to see these villain characters that are truly more neutral among. That's what I've been saying, Jesse. The dark oh, side is not bad. The last thing I'd like to say on this Son of Dathomir comic, and guys, I cannot recommend this enough. Oh, there are man. some epic moments in there. You ever wonder who would win between Darth Maul and General Grievous? Well, you get to see that fight. That's a pretty good fight. It's a great fight. There's this really cool scene where Mother Talzin has possessed Count Dooku. So it's like Maul and Dooku fighting Grievous and Sidious. I mean, the amount of red lightsaber action you're going to get is unparalleled. And then there's this amazing moment where like Mother Talzin is doing this like green Sith lightning into Sidious and Dooku both doing it at the same time. And it's, it's amazing. Like the art is incredible. You're right. There's this moment where like, I think she realizes eventually, right? Like we're deep in spoiler territory as we've been, but she's going to lose. Right. Yeah. And so she tells Maul run and he's like, no, like mom, I can help you. And she just like force pushes him away. Oh yeah. And then he tries to get back to her, which is crazy, right? Like I never thought I'd see Maul love like that, but he does. And his supermandos hold him back and they're like, they're like, no dude, you can't go. Like, there's a reason she's asked you to leave. And then obviously like Grievous just walks up to her stone cold, just looks her dead in the face and goes, it's time. And then God. just shanks her, you know, like Jon Snow Game of Thrones moment. Yeah. And man. you're like, dude, crazy. And so I think, A, we learn about Mother Talzin. She is this mysterious, scary, almost borderline evil character, but she's not evil. She's like neutral evil. She's like nature. She's like the dark side of nature. She's the Star Wars version of like druids almost where it's like, yeah. yep, nature is cruel. Nature is b brutal. Nature is also beautiful and she can do that. But her whole concept is I'm protecting my planet and my yep. people and my tribe cool. and our way of life. And it's, it's beautiful. And, and one more thing it makes me think about is Maul. It's so crazy how you mentioned the Shadow Collective thing was her idea. It just further reinforces the concept that like, Despite the fact that Maul had so much power and strength and cunning and ambition, ultimately, he's just a pawn for his yeah. mother, for Darth Sidious, for, gosh, I guess the, the universe, right? Like, yeah, he never really truly had an original idea. <laughs> Everything was either instructed for him to do or he set on this path. It's, it's incredible. But to see Maul like, have this really cool moment where he just comes out with the Darksaber Man. And he's like, Grievous! And then they <laughs> they just start fighting. Like, guys, go read this comic. And like, I'm so mad that it's yeah. not an animated thing because it would have been sick. Yeah, all this, right? Like everything that led up to season seven of Clone Wars. And, you know, all this infighting, like you said, there's so many layers of these dark side people double-crossing each other, working with each other. Now they're not working with each other. They're not trying to kill each other. Like I said, Dooku saved her people in the past. She's tried to kill Dooku multiple times. In fact... She'd almost killed Dooku several times all the way, right? Which is insane to say. Was someone have his power level? And Sidious did fear her. He just did. By the end of the Clone Wars, when all this stuff happens, Sidious, very similar to Asajj, Sidious was like to Dooku, she has to be removed. Asajj has to be removed. Mother Talzin has to be removed. You and Grievous are going to do it. And they did it. They removed both of them. But inadvertently, Dooku and Grievous were being manipulated the whole time as well. They were just pawns in that game. Grievous and Dooku could have easily like turned their backs and joined the Dathomirians and maybe stopped Sidious, right? 
And then maybe Dooku could have actually run the CIS in the way it was actually intended the whole time, you know? It's crazy, right? Like, there's all these players. And it's so cool that she's this powerful, that she can be at the center point of all these moments, right? It's also insane, too, because there's theories that she could be part of Anakin's creation and inception in the Force as well, because she was directly tied into Mortis and the whole Mortis arc, which we're not going to spoil here. That's a whole Clone Wars thing you're going to have to dive into, but she's tied to Mortis as well. So I think we'll see her again maybe one day. You never know. Like she could just manifest, right? And she's always with the sisters, right? So even she may be gone, her spirit lives on, and she's very powerful. That's true. The Mortis thing is very sick. I mean, it's heavily implied that, you know, Talzin is very integral to the chosen one mythos, which again, we're going to try to word our, our sentences here carefully because we definitely think you should watch that. Another thing, Talzin was just a G with the Force. I mean, we've talked about that at length, but one of the cooler things that she could do is she could make her own version of a lightsaber through like green magic. She could just like form an enchanted blade out of thin air and go toe to toe. It's sick. Yeah, she's like this like awesome battle mage. It's a very cool thing. So we got to talk about her in Star Wars Shadowpoint today, though, Amon, because I think this is one of those boxes that I just think the it's such an incredible box within itself, and it makes me just want to play it on the table as much like as soon as possible, you know. And let's just talk about how we what Mother Talzin looks like and how we're going to play her. All right, let's do it. So Mother Talzin is a primary character, and she brings eight points to her squad team selection. She has the tags Dathomirin, Force User, and Night Sister. She has a stamina of 10 and a durability of 3. Jesse, off the rip, what do we think? So average force and average cost, but great health, right? Which is good. We've seen primaries that are 9, right? She's not a 9. <laughs> but it's cool that she's like up there with the Obi-Wans and stuff is my first thought where it's like, oh, a 10, you know, another 10. We're getting a, an interesting spread of like 9s, 10s, 11s, the one twelve. that's a Vader now at this point. So 12 is an outlier. I think you just remove it from your your field of view. So I think she fits right in that mid-range of health with 10. And the tags all make sense. I love that she's a force user because I just love that like now they have established for sure people that can manipulate the force, people that are force sensitive are going to be in this force user tag, not just Jedi and Sith. I agree. My one initial reservation when I first saw her okay, was why is she not for force? Agreed. She is, as we've just discussed, this monster of wielding the force and utilizing it. And the fact that she can go toe to toe with Grievous, Dooku, and Sidious all at the same time is incredible, right? She's able to bring people back to life, do all this crazy stuff. So I get why, because from a balance perspective, we're going to see she's a really good character. Yeah. But I would have loved to see her like seven strike points with four force well let's just get right into her card starting with her first ability which is a tactic obscuring shadows at the start of mother talzin's activation choose another allied dathomirian unit so this is global there's no range on it one character in the chosen unit may dash keep in mind it does say another so she can never use it on herself right yeah great specific to call out jesse this is great i mean the dathomirians already are quite mobile if you think about it asajj mm-hmm. can jump multiple times Lord Maul has force speed. The Night Sisters, as we'll discuss in a moment, the Acolytes, they also have the ability to jump as well. So what you're doing is you're taking this already mobile type of unit, these mobile characters, and giving them even more flexibility and more mobility, which is really good. The fact that Maul can get an extra dash during a struggle or two, or Asajj can get even more mobility, I think is quite potent. But at the same time, 
there are moments that I've seen where it's like, I've already moved them where I want to go. I don't necessarily feel like I need to move them anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's always a way you can do that, to move something or somebody, right? But I do think that sometimes it feels a bit redundant, but ultimately it's still a great ability. Yeah, absolutely. Like it encourages you to play Mother Talzin with Dathomirians, which I think is the correct way to play here, but also thematically makes a lot of sense and gives you versatility mid game. I also love it on someone like Maul Amon because just a dash like that can just set up his pivot on his next turn, right? Where he needs to move somewhere else, double advance and then force speed, right? So it can help get him in position in a lot of ways, which is not bad because Maul's already incredible without it. So just one more tool in his toolbox. Yeah, right on. Now we're going to go to her first and only active ability called Manipulating Hand. This is a whopping two force. Yeah. Three force when she has a wounded token, even more. She has more than one wounded token. Choose an enemy character within range four. The chosen character dashes. You resolve this move. Ooh, I love this. Just a little mind control for a second. I could just win you the game straight up. I mean, we know how good these effects are, these guaranteed pulls and stuff like the Django and Maul pull, but this is better. I'm on this is just a dash. Like you get to go choose the direction they go, where they go, where they land. It's very good. I think this is an amazing tool. I think one of the things that we've talked about in Shatterpoint a lot is attacks are a premium and they are one of your best ways at displacing characters. But what's even better is characters who we've sung the praises of already on this podcast quite a bit. For example, Maul and Django, they have abilities they can use where they can pull people off points without having to fight them, without having to engage with them. And the fact that Mother Talzin can do this from range four, not range three, yes, is insane. And this allows you to do so many cool things. You can set up scenarios where Mother Talzin can walk onto a point. She can contest it. Then she can manipulating hand a character off the point so that your character that's already there now gains control of the point. There's other scenarios where it's like, okay, I know that if I can take out this character or wound them, it reduces their efficacy for your team strategy as a whole. I'll just pull them into my melee monsters and yeah, then that's right. my Maul or my Vader or somebody, my Asajj, can take that character out. There's so much utility. There's so much use cases and it's extremely potent and extremely powerful. And even if you're wounded, I'll happily spend three force if that means I can move your character wherever I want to. It's pretty neat. And keep in mind too, this would proc strain. So if they have strain on them and then you make them dash with this, you could also just maybe wound a model with this, which is very scary, right? Because, oh, you you, you thought you were safe. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in my next turn. I'm going to recover the strain and do some actions. No, no, no. She makes you dash and now you've taken that strain. So there's like layers to it too. But I love that example you gave Amon, which I think is probably her best play with this, where it's like she could maybe potentially be manipulating play on words here two or three points maybe on the map what i'm saying is someone's in front of her but she's winning the point or something and then someone to the left she manipulating hands them off and one of your supports wins that point and now the right side she attacks and she shoves them off and you have another sport over there scoring that so she's got a lot of cool control we're gonna talk about it in her kid in a minute more control but it's also like she's providing a blanket support to your team as a whole with a couple of her abilities and this is definitely one of them because it's yeah, it's great an example of her just walking up, moving someone off right on the point she walked up to. But the the higher ceiling of this or the explosive nature is she can move people off from side points where you have other characters that are on those points tied with them or something. Right? There's a lot of there's a lot of things that she can do. So I think it's absolutely amazing. It's cool because she has some things later that give her more movement to help set these things up. These potential scenarios we're talking about. 
No, absolutely. And again, like having a character, as we're going to see, with great amount of damage output as well yes. as can control makes them so invaluable in Shatterpoint. I mean, imagine playing Maul, Django, and Mother Talzin in a list together, right? Like, that's incredible. It's incredible. So let's jump on to our next ability here. It's a reactive ability called Life Drain. After an allied Dathomir and character makes an attack, if the defender suffered one or more damage, this unit, aka Mother Talzin, may use this ability. The allied Dathomir and character that made that attack may recover one. So good. Just like blanket healing for your whole team. We've already kind of said it ad nauseum already. The Dathomirians can deal damage and they do deal damage. So this is just going to work for you. But most importantly, Amon, I, I think we look at this through the normal game lens of just gaming and we're like, oh, a free heal is great. But really through the through the Shatterpoint lens, it's insane because it's like, oh, I removed Mole's pin. I removed Savage's expose. I, you know, got the Night Sisters like strain off. So now they're going to live. So there's just a lot of layers to how powerful this actually is because like let's say you start an assage activation pinned but you're in melee with someone well she starts off with the melee oh now the pin's gone right now you can advance jump jump something like that so it just gives you options with conditions on top of just just blanket like one point of healing is nice as well yeah well said i think specifically if you look at maul too maul's whole shtick is that he damages himself yes and able to move around the board right so you take <laughs> A free force advance. It's then amazing. you can take two more damage and there is nowhere to hide. Pull them off the point. And you've taken three damage. You get your extra dice. You nail the attack. And now you heal yourself back for one. So you're less likely to die, you know, in regards to any rebuttal attacks. It's, it's actually really fun with Maul because you can manage his damage as a resource more efficiently as if you weren't already doing that through his identity. And then you take that into account with Asajj, who, again, does a lot of great damage, but is also flimsy She's in terms flimsy, of yeah. receiving attacks. Savage, right, is an absolute monster, which we'll see in a moment, but he's hard to take down and having to, you know, get that extra heal here and there is great. And then the Night Sisters. I mean, it's, it's awesome because they're also fragile. Yep. The Acolytes. And so I think this is an amazing ability. She can use this ability herself because she is an allied Dathomir in character. So correct. you'll see this in conjunction with her identity means that she can heal quite a bit because it doesn't say attack action, just says attack. Yes, which is perfect. But it would not proc off of some of these abilities like the like roll dice ability type stuff. So there are some minor distinctions and, you know, that'll come up with the Savage in a moment. Correct. But closing out her card, her identity is incredible. Wrath of the Great Mother. Once per turn. So keep in mind a turn is one of your turns or one of your opponent's turns probably going to be an opponent's turn when this happens when an enemy character wounds another allied unit after the effect is resolved mother talzin may dash and then may make a five dice range attack targeting that enemy character a couple distinctions here mon right at the gate this is like ahsoka's ability without the recover but also ahsoka has to go right towards that person mother talzin she can just scoot back she can scoot sideways she doesn't even have to go towards them it's just a free dash so that gives you a lot more versatility than the ahsoka like stay inside the box but also a range attack <laughs> it's incredible it's just easier to pull off so somebody who's played a lot of ahsoka i immediately see this and i'm like this is a little bit easier to do than ahsoka's which is very cool and this also helps mother talzin get in those positions i mentioned earlier before she activates to be exerting her influence on multiple points on the board with manipulating hand with her shoves on her tree and just like you net a free 
dash out of it, right? You net some free movement and set up your next turn. Yeah, exactly. And then a couple more things here. You know, the dash, you don't have to attack that five, that character, right? Like it's a may. Obviously, it's ideal when you're able to get a free move and it lines up with when you're attacking. But sometimes you can just use this ability and say, well, you know what? I don't even care to make that attack. I can just get on a point and I can get that point. Well, I think great distinction too, because I think a lot of players, players read this myself the first time I did and say, it's like Ahsoka. Like I've got a, I mean, Ahsoka's not, you don't have to do it with her either, but it's like, you think I've got to dash into range and attack that character or something. That's just what it reads at first glance, but you dash wherever you want. And then are you in range to shoot them? And do you want to shoot them? Yeah. A lot of questions. No, for sure. Because it specifically says may dash and then may make, right? So it's that option, which I love. The last thing I want to point out about Mother Talzin is that we're going to talk about this very shortly. Mother Talzin is a monster at ranged attacks. She is that force user. She is that powerful as Jesse described in the lore section. And so that's why her identity is so great because while she can be super mobile and that's why she doesn't necessarily have a way to move herself, like a lot of other tactics abilities we see, you're going to be able to see her move quite a bit because as we've mentioned earlier, Maul, Asajj, Savage, they like to be on the front lines. So they will get wounded eventually, right? Especially when Maul's dealing damage to himself. The Night Sister Acolytes are also very flimsy, but also important yeah. distinction, right? Like this doesn't have to be a Dathomir character that gets wounded. It's any yes. allied unit, period. So you can build your list to be super aggressive or with maybe lightly armored so that you can proc this a lot. There's a lot of list building strategies here that you can utilize. But ultimately, Mother Dalzen is making range for shooting attacks that hit really hard. It's pretty cool, right? And they also have shoves in them too. So keep in mind, if this is a reaction to you getting the dash and then an attack on your opponent's turn, you also can maybe follow up with some dashes as well, right? And get on that point like a monset on top of the dash. So it's very threatening that she can kind of float around the battlefield during your opponent's turn. So you got to watch what you wound <laughs> when she's around. But we got to move on to her tree. I'm on. Yeah, let's start with Great Mother because you mentioned the shoves and I think it's probably the best stance for her to be in for most of the game. I say most. So she's a 7-5 on defenses with a 5 being melee and she's 7-6 on offense with 7 being range and 6 being melee. She has 3 different types of expertise. Mystic defenses, 1-2, to two, 1 block. 3 expertise, 2 blocks and changing opposing crit to a hit. And then 4 plus is 2 blocks changing that crit to a hit and then a hit to a fail. So high ceiling, low floor. Good dice though. Or rather high floor. But when you get past the floor and you break through the floor, it's a pretty... I'm just saying she's got good dice, raw defensive dice, especially on range, right? So you're going to see this expertise. Absolutely. Now going to her melee expertise very quickly, one to two is a damage, which is a Dathomirian thing we see quite a bit. Yeah. And one hit, three expertise, crit hit, one damage, four plus crit, two hits, one ping damage. That's pretty nice for four. I'm getting three results and a ping damage. So like I'm not worried about getting four on that. And of course, this melee attack is her conjured blade. Gotta yep. shout out that. That's so right. I would love to maybe green stuff that. That would be cool. Oh my gosh, that would be so cool. Yeah. And then this is where the moneymaker is. It's called magics because she's shooting magic. But one to two expertise, crit and a hit. Three expertise, a crit and two hits. Four plus, two crits, two hits. That's pretty good. That's like Django good. I would say that's like she's she's catching up to Kalani. <laughs> <laughs> let's not talk about Kalani. Yeah, Kalani, it's just too good. He's, it's just, For no reason, he's a monster. Yeah, so, let's see. Expertise is awesome. Now, Jesse mentioned 
you get a lot of shoves and it's great because great mother this stance starts with a shove and two damage incredible it's awesome and especially you combine that with her identity where she's getting a bunch of five attacks in i mean if you just roll one expertise you're getting your shove and two damage most of the time because you get a crit and a hit right so your opponent might turn one of your crits to a fail but in theory with your other dice in conjunction you should always be able to get one through for the most part it's dice right so it's random but yeah of course can't ever truly math hammer it now from here she's actually got quite a complicated tree to talk through but she has two paths that she can jump off of but what i'm going to do is i'm actually going to start and just com- completely fill the bottom path yep so shove and two damage then we go down shove and a damage then we go up to two damage and then we're going to keep going straight shove and a damage reposition and a damage she moves you she does a bunch of follow-ups she does a reposition this is her movement part of this tree which is which is sick because you could do this potentially during your opponent's turn with that response yeah i mean if you roll really well absolutely because seven damage three shoves and a reposition means she gets wherever the hell she wants to go it's crazy it's incredible now if we start back at the starting tile of a shove and two damage instead of going down we're going to go straight this is going to provide an expose and two damage which is great dathomirians love hitting exposed targets Everybody hits, but Dathomirians love it especially. So we're at four damage with a shove and an expose. And then from here, we can still go straight again, which is that two damage, then the shove and the damage, then the reposition and the damage. Or we can take a slightly different path. That third tile could instead be a pin and a damage. So we're going to go up, take a pin and damage. Then we're going to go back down to that shove and a damage. And then from there, we can go back up or we can mm-hmm. continue on straight. Again, if you continue on straight, it's the reposition and the damage or... Yeah. If you really want to maximize the amount of damage, she can just do three damage. So the most damage she can do on this tree is 10 damage. Like That's a lot. And along that way, it's two shoves and an expose. Like you could take out some primaries with that. Yeah. So pretty incredible. I love how interesting this tree is. Like you said, Amon, you've got to kind of choose your paths. And it's like, do you want conditions? Do you want damage? Do you want shoves? And this reposition, I, I like it. She, it's It's very like snaking around, which is cool. There's just no really bad path. No. Right? As we've mentioned so much on this podcast, you know how many tiles you're going to go through when the dice are rolled over, right? So you do. If you're going to know that you can take the one character out, then yeah, take the damage path. You still get two shoves and expose. But if you're not trying to do that or you don't even need that much damage to finish the opponent off, then there's so many different things that you can do. And, you know, she's a great mother. She's like a wily old cat, man. And she knows what she's doing. And so whether it's shoving, pin, expose, or repositions, or just nuking you out of the stratosphere, she can do all of it. And this is just one stance. We haven't talked about the other one yet. Well, let's talk about the other one, because I am very excited to see what that looks like. This first stance is awesome, because she is the great mother, but now you've gotten close to her, and she's using a different stance. Yeah, this is really cool. So if you're ever in a situation where you think you're going to get bogged down in melee, you're going to switch to Wrath. Wrath is awesome. So... Six offense at range, seven offense at melee, five at range defense, six on melee defense. So a little bit better, a little inverse of the previous tree. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to actually see that in the expertise. It's going to show up as well. So mystic defenses is the exact same as the previous side. So just for serendipity's sake, one to two, one block, three, two blocks, turning a crit to a hit, four plus two blocks, crit to a hit, hit to a fail. But this is where we see that expertise change quite a bit. We'll start with magics, just because that's the most fresh one I talked about on the other side. This is the ranged expertise. It's less potent here. One to two expertise, one hit, three, a crit and a hit, four plus a crit and two hits. It's still good, but 
a higher floor. Probably shouldn't be shooting in this side, yeah. No, no, no. But this is where we're going to talk about. That conjured blade, Jesse. One to two, ping damage, and a crit. Three expertise, two crits, and a ping damage. Four plus, two crits, a hit, and a ping damage. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's getting a lot done. And what's super cool, Amon, to me, is like it's her conjured blade from the first side, but like a bunch of the hits are upgraded to crits. Exactly. It's It's good design. It's clever. And it's also, it makes sense. It's easy to yeah. understand. Like, this is when she pulls out her quite literal force lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. You know, talk about taking the force to another level. That's another level. Yeah. All right. Now, this one's really cool because this has two different starting points. Okay. And they're both very thematic for a melee combatant. You can either disarm and deal a damage or just deal two damage. Yep. I love this disarm, though, because it helps with this idea of keeping her survivable in melee. If you disarm your opponent, they don't get their expertise. That reduces their efficacy significantly. Right. That's really cool. Now we go to her second tile they both converge at the next point which is a recover and two damage this also kind of talks about how like you said when people get wounded or killed on dathomir she recovers that life force a little bit that's pretty cool very thematic but also a great ability right recovering is awesome yep you know you can also use her reactive ability after this to recover as well so in theory Mm. whatever recover she has on a tree you always add one more on top of that if you choose to use that ability yep for sure third tile active ability so you get a free manipulating hand if you haven't used it already. Yeah, only three in. That's pretty awesome. And it's a huge incentive to use this Wrath side because you're thinking about it like, why would I ever use Wrath? Her whole identity is based off range attacks. Yep. Keep in mind, you still can use range attacks here, but that's the incentive. 100%. And I mean, you could even Wrath with the focus on this side to go up to seven dice to be at that same range. Raw dice threshold, obviously worse expertise, just to try to get that manipulating handoff if you're looking for that too so you could fish for this because three in is not that bad and three in for a, a force power that costs two is always incredible well said jesse 100 and you're right in that you can still use range attacks here as we're going to see the maximum number of damage you can do on this tree is seven so a little less potent but that's still good enough to finish off a character or take out a supporting unit by herself so after we get the active ability which is the third tile as we've hammered home now we can either go up, which is a, another recover and two damage, or down, which is a strain and two damage, and then ends. They both converge at the end of the tree with an expose and a damage, which means she's setting her opponent up for another one of her free five dice attacks. It's pretty cool. Keep in mind, they were very smart putting the strain after the active ability, so you can't do that cool thing I was talking about earlier where you can strain kill someone. But as long as they have a strain before you did the active ability, right, you could just move them and they take the strain damage. And then you could maybe give it back on after, right? When you go four tiles in. So that's kind of a cool play too. It's very control. It's it's like damage control, which is just neat. Yeah, I mean, she is, gosh, she is so good. And she is so fun to talk about because oh. she truly plays like the way that you envision her to play, right? She's yes potent at range. She can create her own lightsaber and stab you with it. She is able to manipulate her opponents, their minds through that movement. She's able to, you know, lead her other Dathomirians by having them dash. She can help them by healing them. But then just looking at her stances alone, just as a combatant individually, gosh, man, like so much utility, so much damage, so much thought mm. that can go into it. And so I can really see people who really decide to give Mother Talzin the time and own her craft, if you will, be able to do some really impressive and consistent things with her which is so exciting. 
she's extremely exciting because the options are kind of endless at any given moment, right? And a lot of her trees are very up to the dice where they land, but up to like your plays you make. And then you're like, okay, now I can see how many I got in. Okay, now I've got some decisions to make. Do I want to like snake around on that first tree or do I want to kind of go up and down on this tree? It's absolutely amazing. I love that the site has recovers, but like you said, like interdispersed with all this other cool stuff. It's just, yeah, she's got options and I'm all about options because I think it makes like the better players will use the options that are going to help win them the game and the struggle, right? So I just think it's tough to know which to use, but they're all good, like you said. So it's a matter of learning her and playing games with her and getting that flow down, I think. Completely agree. I have played games with her where I stayed on great mother side the whole game and then i tried a game where i stayed on wrath side the whole game just to understand like what are the best use cases and i wasn't upset that i never flopped stances i was i wasn't mad about it because i was like i'm putting this handicap on myself but it's it's important because i'm trying to learn this character and i was pleasantly surprised with both sides that's pretty cool well we got to move on i'm on because we've got some other dathomirians to talk about today which is very exciting and we're going to see more synergy with mother talzin for sure so Savage Opress is who we're going to talk about today. He was the brother of Maul and Feral. He's a Force-sensitive Dathomirian knight brother. He eventually became a Sith apprentice under Dooku, later became a Sith Lord alongside Maul, and then just became a renegade Sith during the Clone Wars as well. So Savage is interesting because he is literally a creation. He is like a Frankenstein's monster in some ways, where it's he originally was a tribal leader on Dathomir. He was a different person, really, a different mentality different body, different powers. We haven't talked about the Dathomirian men yet, the Knight Brothers, but the males on Dathomir have no status in the culture. They are literally just men that live in a village off from the side of the planet. So the Knights are being a matriarchal society. They live apart from the men of Dathomir, the Knight Brothers, and the men were basically, they were just used as servants and breeders for the Knight Sisters to grow their coven. And protectors. And protectors, yeah. And of course, there's a lot of lore in the old lore of Legends of kind of how the Dathomirian Knight brothers came to be. But we talked about a little bit in our mall episode, Amon. It's kind of confusing, but basically the Knight Sisters are separate from the Knight Brothers because the Knight Brothers were originally Zabrak, right? And then they got literally like bred into the culture. So they're kind of half Zabrak, half Dathomirian, right? So they become Knight Brothers, which is something else entirely. So that's an element of it as well. We're not going to do a full Zabrak Lord today or anything like that, but know all that when we talk about Savage. So he was one of these Knight Brothers living in this village. He was picked by Asajj for this purpose that the, the Great Mother had to create this warrior to help them exact their revenge, right, on the CIS and Dooku in particular. And it's funny because it was all a plan to like double cross Dooku. The plan was, okay, so Savage won these tests against Asajj. He then goes to Great Mother. He's a different person. Like I said, they perform this ritual on him. They make him massive, like all of his muscles, his height. My boy is yoked. That's right. His power level. He goes from like, like I said, the men just live in a village by themselves. They don't do a lot. He went from just living in a village, though he was the clan head, which is pretty cool, notable, to now he's this massive monster, quite literally like a Frankenstein's monster. It's almost like Captain America. Like he went through like a super soldier. Program. For sure. The dark twist of this is Savage loses who he was. That's the sad part. Yeah. he They kind of essentially make his IQ really low, wipe his brain. He's more animal now than humanoid. Yeah, he's bred for aggression, right? Like 
yes. what's the best way to just be the most brutal fighter you can? Like, it's you have almost no like moral compass. You have no yeah. humanity. Well, it's crazy because he does exude like his old tendencies quite a bit later on. But I think initially, when he first comes from this trans, his brain transformation, yeah. he's just like, I kill. You know? I kill. Caveman. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to kill everything, but they train him, and then eventually, this whole thing happens with Dooku. Now. You got to tell him what he does to his brother, Feral. Yeah, I guess that's the true testament of if he's if his brain's been wiped or not, right? See, this is where Great Mother really is dark side of mine, this type of stuff. But the test is if he'll follow commands, right? And Asajj and Great Mother tell him to kill his own brother from the village. And he does just that, strangles him to death, which is horrific. Horrific. And keep in mind that they, the show spends a good portion of time demonstrating who Savage's original character is by showing him that while the Dathomirian culture is brutal, that he is still loyal to his people, his tribe, and most importantly, his family. And he's always looking out for his frail, skinny, under-muscled brother, who then he just murders in cold blood. I was, I was shook. Yeah, they're really establishing that he is no longer the man he was, right? He really is this, this monster, you know? Very much like the mountain from Game of Thrones after he's resurrected, right? Mm. It's very much like that. Like, he's just a pure muscle aggression servant that just follows orders and doesn't ask questions and really not much going on inside the head there, you know? But as Amon says, as more time passes, which is what makes Savage actually interesting, as more time passes, he gets some of his wits back to him. And a lot of it's through combat. Like he fights Dooku, for instance, gets lightning, Sith lightninged a lot. But what do you know? Some of the brainwashing is kind of worn off because his body just went in shock, right? In a lot of ways from Sith lightning. So there's layers to it. Savage is very pivotal in the mission to find Maul. So like I said, Mother Talzin has her Palantir. She sees where Maul is. Savage actually tracks him down and coerces him to come back, right? Finds Maul in this horrible state. So that's pivotal to the plot. Him and Maul get close. And like I said, Maul's trauma has been removed now. So him and Maul actually start like commuting together and start doing missions for the Dathomirians. And it's just great. It's like Savage becomes Maul's apprentice, right? Which is interesting because it's, they've got their own like their own Darth Bane rule of two going on, which is just unique. They're their own Sith group, right? Eventually, they ally themselves with Previsla and Death Watch, and uh, soon to be the Super Mandalorians and the Shadow Collective. So, what's very sad about Savage is all this is going so well for him. He's kind of getting his memories back. Him and Maul kind of have their their bromance, their their brotherly love going on. Because once again, in this weird Dathomirian culture, like. Technically, all the men are great mother's children, right? So in the way, those were also Maul's brother, at least second or third removed. You know what I mean? It's just, it's very weird, but it's part of the lore. But we do have a fight that's very important because once again, Sidious is not happy. There's all these dark side users in the galaxy getting more powers, right? He's like, remove Asajj, Dooku. And Dooku's like, I can't. She's my greatest, you know, she's my greatest servant. Dooku, and she's like, do it. And then Sidious learns that Maul's returned and that he also has a brother and he's not happy about that at all. So Sidious shows up to fight Maul and Savage and actually kills Savage in the fight as he dual wields two sabers and fights two Sith brothers. Both with double-bladed lightsabers. Oh, two double-bladed versus one guy dual wielding. Oh, what a great fight. It's a great fight, and it actually just shows how damn scary Sidious is, right? He's That's like laughing right. the whole time. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Like he's if you like remember, excited. yeah, he's like 
yeah, he's excited at the challenge, but then he's just cackling like, <laughs> like that's why I like to distinguish Sidious from Palpatine because Palpatine's got to a point in the empire. He doesn't even have to do stuff like that anymore. Right. And he doesn't, he won't. Right. <laughs> but it's like Sidious is a different breed of like where Palpatine was in his life as a Sith Lord. Right. Yeah. And he's so interesting. Like I'd love to always see in these games, I'd love to see Sidious and Palpatine be separate units, for instance. Right. I think that could very easily be done because they are very different in the way they fight and stuff. But the interesting part about Savage, and it's very sad and adds to Maul's tragic layers and why we love Maul on the show, as all this magic leaves his body when he dies, as the magic leaves his body, this is, of course, extended canon stuff. Some of it's extended canon, but he apologizes to Maul and he admits that he was never like him and transforms back to his initial form, his initial village leader form before he dies. You know, it's kind of like a one with the force thing. Now, what's cool about that is it's a nice moment for Savage. It's like some redemption, but it's more like a gut punch to Maul. You know, like, do you really have to do all this, man? Does it have to be everything? I was more like this. They morphed me into this. And you're being like, oh, we're two bros. We're exactly the same. But it's like Savage was a creation, you know? And Maul's been a creation the whole time. Like you said, Maul's always been manipulated by someone and thinking he has to be the toughest, the strongest, the most brutal, the most violent. And Maul learns a lot of this late in his life. But this is one of those moments that was, I think, pivotal in his life. Yeah, it's crazy. And it is a gut punch to Maul for sure. And and obviously it's kind of like Maul's sad his brother's dying, but then also like, also my, his brother's like, I was never, I never liked being, but you know, I never liked what we did. <laughs> no. That, that wasn't actually stuck. me. I was under yeah. control of this magic the whole time. But in addition to that, like Savage is a very loyal person to his people. He is very loyal to Mother Talzin, and he is infamously loyal to Darth Maul, right? Like he finds his brother, he brings him back home, he makes sure that he's whole again, he stays by his side. So I, I like to imagine that there's this level of guilt that of Savage feels for killing Feral, right? Mm. And so he's like, I lost one brother. At one point, I thought I lost both. I got my one brother back. I'm going to yep. give everything I can to save my brother. And it's it's an incredible relationship the two have because it's almost like Maul kind of treats Savage poorly in some scenarios, but for Savage, sure. like, it doesn't matter. He's my brother. Like I'm going to love him no matter what. And the devotion that he shows to Maul is profound. And it's incredible, like their whole arc where they're just going through all these, you know, layers of deceit and manipulation to not only ensure that they are taken care of, but then also they are fulfilling Maul's goals, right? And ultimately, as we've come to find out, Mother Talzin's goals as well as, you know, the Shadow Collective and all that stuff. So it's amazing. It's Savage is a is is I think what Maul may have been if Maul was never defeated by Obi-Wan, right? Just brute, mm. straight damage dealer. Yeah. I point there, you go kill, you know? Like, it's <laughs> crazy. It is crazy. I love that you talked about, like, Savage's core, though. Like, he's not just this hulking brute Frankenstein monster that just kills. He also, like, loves his brother indiscriminately, even when his brother's horrible to him, right? It's very much like a Lenny and George and of Mice and Men, you know? It's like... Savage is the guy, there's not much going on in his brain, but he's like, he could kill anything. And Maul's like, go kill that for me, you know? And he doesn't question it. Part of it's he's being influenced by the magic, but another part of it is this relationship with his brother. And, you know, just think of Maul if he was huge. Also, like, infused with magic. That's insane, right? So, yeah, he's a really interesting, cool character in Star Wars. And I think a really great addition to the lore and the canon of Star Wars. And it really adds more layers to Maul's 
universe, which we absolutely love. But we got to talk about him in Star Wars Shatterpoint. I'm on. Yes, let's do so. Savage Opress, fan favorite here, is a secondary unit that costs four points. He has a stamina of 10, which is pretty solid for a secondary character. That's the highest a secondary character gets. That is true. And he's higher than some primary characters. And (laughs) he's got a durability of two. Yeah. Keeping in line with the secondary character format. Exactly. Now, quickly tags Dathomirin, Force User, Sith, and Separatist Alliance, which is quite exciting. It is quite exciting. And that goes in the lore. I just briefly touched on it, but Dooku did train him and he did work for Dooku for a while because this, this was a long con from the Great Mother, right? To get Savage trained and then eventually turn against Dooku, right? Yeah, because Dooku thinks Savage is dead and Savage is the, the spy inside. Savage and Asajj try to take Dooku on and they don't, they don't win. <laughs> but they 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 put the heat on him for a minute. But yeah, it's just there was a lot of layers to that. So he's been trained by Dooku. So Separatist Alliance makes perfect sense because he did missions for them as well. Absolutely. So so what I love about Savage, and we're going to see this as we go through his character card, is he's a straight murder bot on the table, right? That's all he is. But I think that's why they gave him that extra bit of health because he's not necessarily contributing to your team in the way other secondaries do because his goal is out there to just, I guess, contribute and control in the way of attrition right and so he needs to be able to survive long enough to be able to do that so that's why i find it interesting they gave him 10 stamina but mm-hmm. i like it it makes a lot of sense and he the tags are great with this, with this health pool as well as what you're saying on those points yes which is notable it's good but he doesn't have a lot to do outside of health being a body and removing things that's his main focus it really reminds me of the inquisitor stuff Amon, where i was saying that maybe some of those supports and inquisitors or like downgraded secondaries. I feel like Savage is like a downgraded primary in some ways, where it's just like, oh, think of the aggro primaries in the game. He's kind of like that. He just doesn't have quite all the bells and whistles they have and options. And that's cool. It's a cool game design. And I love it. I love it as well. So let's start with his first ability. It's an active ability called Dark Fury. Costs two force. Very expensive. Choose an enemy unit within range two and roll five attack dice. The chosen unit suffers one damage for each crit and strike result in the roll. If the chosen unit is a force user and suffers damage from this ability, that unit also gains expose. So this is similar to Django's not so fast, but you're, this is on demand for you. And it has the additional bonuses of, oh, are they a force user? We get more stuff happening. Exactly. And this is actually very similar to the way that Maul functions because the, effectively what this does is this is another example of you, specifically Maul's brother, because Maul's the only one that can do this, that can pseudo-expose on demand right before they attack. Because ideally, you would Dark Fury, you are able to expose the forced user that you've targeted, hopefully you've dealt a damage, which statistically, most cases you should, and then now, when you slam into them, right, it's, it's so much more potent. And if they're a primary character, which we'll talk about later, there's some added bonus for that as well, right? So... It's very, it's it's great poetic justice, actually, that the way that they've created it is where like Maul and Savage both have this ability to expose their target before attacking, yep. but you don't necessarily have to do it in that order. No, especially because Dark Fury is so expensive, right? And you're still rolling dice, but also how insane is unblockable damage, right? It's insane. Like it should cost this, right? It's lovely. And if you really think about the, the, the nature with these episodes is as we've played more Shatterpoint and we just are more familiar with all the units as a whole. Yeah. 
it's a lot easier to talk about niche examples midway through rather than summarizing at the end. So we'll probably do a little bit of both here. But yep, as we've seen, he's got the separatist tag, right? Separatists yep. always have excess force. So this always. is a great way to spend it because you're going to get it back, whether it's through Django or Dooku. It's insane. It's really awesome. The fact that like he could also affect two models on his activation in a way where you basically Dark Fury, someone, oh, now they're wounded and now hit someone else and now they're wounded. Oh, he just won a side point in a huge way. There was two different things there and he just won it. That's super cool. So I don't know. You've always got to be vigilant when he's on the table. If you have characters with like two health left at any given moment, he could just walk up to them and just roll dice and see if he just kills them without even attacking, right? And letting you roll defense dice. So I find that very effective and very cool as well. But continuing him on with his card, he has one more active ability called Furious Rush, costs one force. Each character in this unit may dash, but if the unit is injured, each character in this unit may advance instead. So solid ability. I think a little bit of a mixed bag, and I'll tell you why. We've, I think, moaned a little bit in the past about how the fact that when it's a, a force for a dash and that's it, there's nothing associated with a dash, there's no hunker or anything in it, like a scale or whatever. Lumi. It's a little frustrating. <laughs> like you Lumi, exactly. Yeah. Though she is a primary. In this instance, it's kind of like how I think OB2 feels, where it's like OB2 feels a little underwhelming, but then the moment he gets that injured token, last stand of the Jedi, he's got plus two offense and plus two defensive dice, right? So same yep. thing here. If you're playing Savage, how he's designed to be played, you're going to go in there and you're going to start hero hunting. Once yes. you start hero hunting, you will inadvertently you know, expose yourself, for lack of a better term, or you can just get the condition. That could be, doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. And on top of that, like you'll probably get got by another primary at some point right if it doesn't work out so what that does is once he's got that inner token sure he is maybe close to getting off the table after you get through another 10 health but he's gonna go wherever he wants to go to make sure that he can take his target down it's 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 pretty nice but it's a delayed gratification yeah no it's really nice and i think paired with the dark fury it's pretty neat too it's obviously that costs three force but maybe there's some turns where you just can't quite advance where you need to be or maybe you just advance and attack a model but then you're like oh i could dash over there and dark fury that one just gives you options to open the door but once again lots of force to do all this but we got to get into his innate simon because he has many he does have many so we're going to start with overpowering monster and so this is what i was alluding to earlier jesse i'd love to get your thoughts on this because your primaries are precious to you. That's true. When a character in this unit makes an attack targeting a primary character, add two dice to the attack roll. That's a lot of dice. So now we're really saying this kind of theme I was talking about where he kind of is just a slightly underpowered primary, right? Because you think of him that way, if he was a primary and he's fighting other primaries, like this is what it's looking like. Very cool. I always struggle to like, I think a struggle in Shatterpoint is to know when to attack primaries. And I don't think it should be your go-to move. I think attacking supports and secondaries should be your go-to move. But this gives you a lot of incentive because now you're like, oh, well, Savage gets more dice against this primary or don't want to hit this support with less dice. Like you, you can start mathing it out in your head a little bit, which one makes more sense. And wow, what a great way to finish off targets, right? So we talked about how Great Mother is really good at putting conditions and damage out on the field peppering people a lot right or if she gets lucky she can put a lot of damage she goes through a tree well this is an amazing way for savage to finish off a, a softened up primary for sure yeah i mean you know speaking of the fact that you feel that he might just be like a depowered primary in a sense he's got seven attack dice on offense yeah that's a primary that's primary levels of offense already and then you're attacking a primary target you're at nine that's a lot you take him with vader you're at 12 incredible so much sith aggression well, moving on with his innate abilities, Amon, he has one called Pain is Weakness. 
Characters in this unit have protection and steadfast. There's no clauses you have to fulfill to get those. You just have them. So now, once again, that depowered primary thought process. I mean, this 10 stamina just got a lot higher. I'm on. It really did because it scales, right? And so the cool thing about protection is that it just removes one damage from the damage pool. Yep. So if your opponent only deals you one damage, you remove that damage out. Yep. You go to zero. You go to zero, right? And so against some lucky rolls, Savage can maybe not take any damage, but in general, like we all know how powerful protection and steadfast is, ignoring the first shove. That's huge. Some characters only have one shove on their tree, some units, or the second shove is a little bit too far down the tree, but protection, that 10 health starts to feel like 12 or 13 over the course of a struggle. For sure. And also this synergizes with Great Mother's heal in a big way too, right? Because now your opponent's very like, they're put in a bad spot where it's like, oh, they tee, they tee up Savage to a certain point, but he, sur- he got to that certain point and not wounded because of the protection. And now he gets some attacks off through the course of the game and he's healing it back. It's very frustrating. It's very strong. No, it's great. And, and then if you want to look at how he plugs into Separatists a little bit, Separatists already have a ton of units with protection. Yeah, and health pools. And health pools. And some of the characters also have steadfast when contesting an active objective. So now you're adding another 10 stamina unit into your Separatist list that's full of high health protection steadfast units that can be very annoying for your opponent to deal with. Yeah, and speaking of that, he fits pretty well with the Inquisitorious list as well if you want to because he's another melee sticky piece who plops their feet on a point, stays there, sustains, scores, you know what I mean? Removes models. So it's it's very cool. I think they really nailed this this character's card. Yeah, if you're going to create a character that's just no utility, all-out offense, yep. this is the way to do it. He's a bruiser. Speaking of bruising, Brute's bruise and his last final innate ability is called Unwitting Brute. When an allied Separatist Alliance primary unit or an allied Dathomirian primary unit starts its activation within range three of Savage, Savage can dash. That's awesome. So now the Furious Rush is actually looking even better, Amon, because it could just be one more dash on top of these dashes of your primaries going before you, right? So he can really get where he wants to go, in theory. Similar to the Separatist playstyle, though, some things have to happen in certain orders to make that work. But this is great. This is free. It's movement. I think it's solid. I think this also ties into that Separatist Alliance playstyle again, yep. where Separatist players highly mobile as well. And you care a lot about, okay, when Kalani activates, everyone within range this has to do this. When yep. Dooku activates, range within this and Grievous and all this. So you're already going to be doing that with your Separatist characters. So Savage naturally flits into the way that you're designed and, and imagining your force on the battlefield and making sure they're all within range of one another. Yep helps them be more mobile as well. It's good. And then the Dathomirian stuff is great because, you know, you can play him with Maul, you can play him with Asajj, you can play him with Mother Talzin. The lore works for all of them. So it's pretty sick. Yeah, you could start playing him in Separatists right away. Just like put him in the Django or Kraken spot, right? Instead of one of them, right? And just start playing with him right away and see what that looks like and see how you enjoy it. So yeah, it's absolutely great. And I also love too that if you got Magnus in that list, it's like, you're looking for your separatist primary triggers to move Savage and the Magnas. And so you're kind of always thinking about it. So you're not going to miss it, hopefully. Yeah, it's pretty nice. We talked about how exciting his card was, Amon. We got to move on to his tree because I want to see what damage this guy can do. You are not going to be disappointed. Savage's stance card is called Unchained Range. 4-4 four, four on defense. So, you know, if you're going to be that offensive, you do have to sacrifice a little bit of defense. So that makes sense. No offensive range dice, but melee, as we mentioned earlier, seven. 
His expertise is also quite low defensively. It's called unnatural resilience, one expertise, one block, two plus a block and a jump. So don't expect to be blocking a ton of damage with Savage, but that's okay because he's kind of got some built-in protection and steadfast and that high health pool to mitigate some of that. Going to his double-bladed lightsaber offensive expertise, this is where we start to see some of those dollar signs come through. One to two expertise, a crit and a damage. Three expertise, a crit, a strike, and a damage. Four plus expertise, two crits, and a damage. A lot of damage. A lot of consistency with his crits, too. So, love to see it. Once again, this is a secondary character. Secondary character. And you're going to be impressed now by this damage tree here, Jesse. So, we're going to start with two damage. And there's really two paths you can go, and they both end in the same spot. We're going to take the bottom tree, because why bury the lead here? It's... Starting out at two damage, and then two damage, and then two damage. But wait, there's more two damage. And then ending with an active ability. So, hear me out here. You're doing eight damage just from the tree. If you happen to roll one expertise, you're doing nine damage. If you get your free active ability, you can do a free Dark Fury. Yep. Which, if you haven't used that already, means that you can take out a 10, 11, or 12 health primary. For sure. Pretty reliably. If you live the dream, which you certainly could. I mean, five spots is not that crazy. With nine dice? Yeah, it's not. No. Oh, that's a lot of damage, Mon. That's a lot for a secondary. That's insane. It is insane. Now, let's say maybe damage isn't your out your goal here, right? Okay. Maybe it's all about hamstringing your opponent. Well, you start out with two damage, and then you take the top straight path, which is an expose and a damage, a strain and a damage a disarm and a damage, and then you get that active ability. So maybe in this example, instead of using Dark Fury, you can Furious Rush instead. So at this point, it's eight damage, an active ability, or five damage, three conditions, and then an active ability. That's great. It's so much, (laughs) so much damage, so many conditions. So just pick your poison for your opponent, right? It's so interesting because that's really all you can say. Like he is so simple in his mindset, his attacking style, and the way his card is designed. He is someone who is just going to go kill stuff. He's going to try to murder primaries, and he'll do a great job at taking out supporting units and secondary units as well. So it's pretty straightforward play style. Obviously, that has some limitations. Obviously, that has some predictability. But at the end of the day, you can also just slap him on a point, and he should be able to hold it long enough to win at least a struggle, if not the game. I love it. Yeah, he's just a ball of health and he puts damage on your opponent really well so he's simple but in a good way like he he does his job well i guess it's that time of the show i'm on to move on to our final unit in the box it is the night sister acolytes and we've already talked about the night sisters a lot this episode kind of how they work so they were the night sisters also known as the witches of dathomir or the daughters of dathomir they were a clan and an order of magic wielding female dathomirians who lived on dathomir and they bathed in its dark energies and pulled from that energy from the Great Mother and themselves. They were dark side users and they were able to perform arcane magic by tapping into the ichor of the planet, like I talked about, that the Great Mother is directly tied into. That's that green force magic, right? Very adept in combat. They're a matriarchal society, like I said. The men live separate. And, you know, they're very violent as well. They're, they're very spiritual, but they're also very violent. And they're a unified clan because of Mother Talzin which is very good. In the past, they weren't a unified clan. And I don't know, once again, like we talked about, Amon, how interesting is it that we've got non-Jedi, non-Sith, entire Force-sensitive clan of people, you know, that live on this planet, and they wield the Force in a different way, 
by tapping into their religion, which is, you know, they refer to as magic and they can use that ichor to create objects out of thin air. They can make themselves invisible to the human eye, maybe not a Jedi or Sith side, right? But the basic human eye. And they mainly reigned in the dark side of the force, like I talked about. And they were always trying to find ways to upgrade their abilities through the force, but not through like Jedi or Sith training, through just mastery of tapping into this life flow of the planet, like I talked about. What's interesting is though their techniques were dark in nature, they the Night Sisters viewed everything such as animals, weapons, and tools were all just things that they could bend the force to their will and like help them survive, like we talked about. Due to all these like mindsets they had around the force, they could avoid their passions and rage, which would sway them fully to Sith, right? They kept that part at bay. Though they were fully in the dark side of the Force, they never, it was never my passion, my rage, my chains are broken the Sith way. It was, everything's a tool, right? Everything's a tool in my life and survival. And the dark side of the Force is one of these tools we talked about. They also believed in the winged goddess, who was their deity of life, fertility. And they also believed in the fang god, who was a deity of death. And they kind of like worship these two gods and they keep them like equal power levels in their minds because they need both to survive in their culture. And they never celebrated death because they feared it and they didn't want a part of their life, which is very interesting. And a part of death in their culture, very unique. They mummified all their, their dead, similar to the ancient Egyptians, because similar to the ancient Egyptians, they like, they wanted their next path in life to be a certain way and be set up a certain way. And what's crazy is Mother Talzin later, we just see. She uses these un, these mummified witches to form an army of zombie witches as well. She has that level of power where she can reanimate. Yeah, they're a very interesting culture. And what's crazy on is like, I've read about the Dathomirian witches my entire life because in Legends, they were something different and it's changed over time. Legends, they were similar but different. They were more nature. They were more druid. They were less dark side, right? But still all the other tenants were there. Yeah, I don't know. It's cool to see their evolution over time and kind of see the the pillar of Star Wars they're at. I mean, like we were saying earlier, the Jedi Survivor games being out and Dathomir being such a pivotal part of that and survivors such as Marin being part characters in that game and stuff. It's just very cool that it's still going to this day. Yeah, I agree. I think Marin is probably my favorite Dathomirin. She's also quite powerful. I think she's like the last Night Sister, if you will. Yeah, technically she becomes the new Great Mother. Yeah, and she can also like do the whole zombie thing as well, which is pretty powerful point in the game because you have to go through a bunch of <laughs> Night Sisters zombies and fight them, as well as Night Brothers, which is pretty cool. Awesome. One thing I do appreciate about the Night Sisters, and it's a little bit of legends now, but I do think that they still kind of have that pride for their homeworld, and they feel that they are natural caretakers of the planet and its inhabitants, whether it's the Night yeah. Brothers, the Night Sisters themselves, or even the Rancors that live on the planet, right? Like they take care of everything and they protect it. And because it's Dathomirin, and that's what's important to them, it's Dathomir against everybody. And that's what I like about it. And that's why they try to keep themselves so neutral for a long time. No, I agree. It's just interesting how much that changed from Legends. Like Legends, it was like 100%, we are with the planet, everything's the planet. And then it seems like the more they got in the new canon and just the more they got along the path the Great Mother set them on, they came a little bit more isolated, a little more, more just steeped in the dark side and kind of mainly in their fortress, right? They didn't venture out as much. So that probably is some of the corruption of the dark side seeping in that they don't even know about, right? It's kind of like taking hold, but very interesting, like interesting characters to be neutral like this, right? But also be fully in tune with the dark side of the force. So I absolutely love their design. 
we haven't talked about it much today, but I mean, all these Dathomirians wearing red, their pale skin, they're conjured like weapons. It's just cool stuff, you know? And originally they were very adverse to like technology, but they got raided by pirates and stuff in the past. And eventually they were like, well, we should start making like at least like swords and bows and stuff. Right. So they started doing laser bows. Yeah. Cause I mean, they've got the force and they can probably defeat you with that, but they needed more just innate weapons on top of their, the force. So they have both. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Dathomir and culture. And I do credit Jedi survivor for that. I would have never, in fact, not even Jedi survivor fallen order. The first one. Sure. Yeah. I would have never enjoyed the Dathomir and culture as much as I did. If that game didn't make me want to delve back into that and do my research and do my due diligence. Cause it's been so long from the clone wars, right? Show has been out 15 years. Sure. Yeah. The show, the show has been out 15 years and like, I know some people are like, oh, you know, the show's about spoilers, but it's also like, it's 15 years ago. Like, you know, like yeah, I'm, it it's, is, it's, it's stuff that I don't even remember anymore. And so to be able to revisit that is amazing. And so while I'm not going to necessarily rewatch all of Clone Wars, which I've thought about it because I want to get my wife into it because she enjoyed Rebels so much. Mm. I think for me also, it's more about just revisiting pockets of the Star Wars universe that inspire yes. me. And the games, specifically the Cal Kestis games, really made me enjoy Dathomir and see it on a different wavelength that I'd never seen it before. Great call out. Yeah. I, lo- I absolutely adore the planet. Like, it's so interesting. The, like, nature meets dark side energy. I love that so much. Like, that's an interesting combination, you know, their culture. So, and definitely unique to them. But we got to talk about these Dathomirian Night Sister acolytes in Star Wars Shatterpoint, what they look like on the table. Yep. Supporting unit of two characters in the unit. They cost four points. They are seven Sanima, two durability with the tags Dathomirin, Night Sister, and Trooper. All looks good. All looks like you'd expect. Pretty baseline stats and Yeah, a little disappointed with the seven health, but I think yeah. that's just maybe you're not because you're used to clones. I'm very used to it. Yeah. But yeah, compared to I droids or, or like Fifth Brother or right, like it's yeah, it's it's very out of alignment with those. But yeah, I'm glad you alluded to Amon. In a lot of ways, they are clones. Their card is a very clone-centric card, a little bit better in some ways so yeah we'll be drawing a lot of parallels and i guess we'll start with acrobatic advance which is their active ability cost one force each character in this unit may jump if any characters do jump this unit gains a hunker token better defensive maneuver for sure yeah factually just it just (laughs) is easier to play easier to use still get the hunker you get a jump this is this is nuts man this is one of the coolest abilities we've seen out of a support character and you know you and i talked about this in our episode not terribly long ago models coming out in the future that we're excited about you mentioned the death and you and i kind of harped on this ability right out the gate just how cool it is for a support to have this like little jedi kind of or little mandos it's the force baby yep i love that they're like a, a midpoint right of all these a lot of these supports yeah it's best of both worlds like mandos and clones they get the hunker and they get the jump <laughs> isn't it great yeah. But moving on, they have a reactive ability. Speaking of similarities with clones, coordinated fire, expose. When a character in another allied Dathomirian unit, keep that part of mind, makes an attack as part of a combat action before the dice are rolled, this unit may use the ability. If the target character is within five of this unit, the target character gains expose. So it's a clone expose, which we know how good that is. Incredible, because now you've got these acolytes on the back line exposing characters before Maul and Savage and Great Mother swing. Dude, it's so nice. Consistent. Part of an attack combat action. So it's not going to work on all of the smaller attacks you're going to make in the game, but still amazing. And I like the fact that 
Maul loves Expose. Talzin loves Expose. Asajj <laughs> loves Expose. Savage loves Expose. It's great. I mean, it's... They want to get down their trees. Yeah. It, it's going to help them do that. Yeah. And it actually is very interesting because you'll see your opponents start getting frustrated by this specific ability. And they start being worth more than their point value because maybe they'll send a primary or secondary to try to hunt them down. And it's like, well, you're going to see in a short while, listener, that their combat tree is nothing to slouch at. But also, like, cool, if they're peeling off one of the opponent's bigger threats and still exposing, it's pretty nice. It's awesome. You want this. You certainly want it. You do. Now, their next ability is an innate ability called Darkness and Shadows. While this unit has one or more hunker characters, while this unit has one or more hunker, characters in this unit add one dice to their defense rolls against ranged attacks. Additional cover without the cover clause of being within range one of the terrain, right? And what's interesting is that also means that hunker, cover, and darkness and shadows all stack. That is correct. That's a lot of defense dice. If you're playing them in the optimal positions on the board, you want to be playing them. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've got five defense at range. Just with darkness and shadow and a hunker, they go to seven. You add that cover in when eligible, it's eight. Insane. That's primary levels of defense. Even more. Even more, yeah. That's like Ahsoka with hunkers. Yeah, and and that's kind of the thing. It's why they're similar to clones, right? Because I think interesting thing with clones is they're actually really good at range defense because they can stack the hunkers and they're going to be on sure. terrain and this and that and all that stuff. But you know, when you get them in melee, they melt. And same thing with Night Sisters. They're not going to do too hot in melee, but you know, they got to get through your other Dathomir and characters in order to get there, right? So it's pretty cool. But closing out their abilities, they have one more innate ability called Night Hunter. When a character in this unit makes a ranged attack as part of a combat action, if it targets an enemy character that is engaged with another Dathomirian character, it adds two dice to the attack roll. So similar to a Savage, where his like he adds dice to if you stack in primaries, this is just add dice to anyone you're attacking from range if they're engaged with your other Dathomirians. Also keep in mind, I'm on a quick shout out to this. You could keep one of the sisters engaged and one back and that one shoot in to the engagement and you get the buff on that attack in particular. I find that very cool. Like you can proc it off of themselves if you have to. Yeah. Another thing is that even if your opponent wounds one of your characters, they're technically still engaged with said character. Yes, most certainly. So you still get that benefit off the dice which is pretty nice as well. Well, that's their card. Let's move on to their tree and see what they can really do. All right. So as we mentioned earlier, five defense at range. They have four on offensive defense, six dice at range five on their Shadow Hunter stance card, and five dice in melee for offense. Shifting Shadows is their expertise. One to two, one block, three plus, a block, and a reposition. So one thing that we're seeing with these Dathomirian characters is they're not very defensively experts. No. They hit from the shadows, right? They hit you with the force and damage, but, you know, reposition is really nice. It's pretty solid. I do find it interesting that they have the ability to jump so much, and we're going to see that in a second when they go through their tree. So sometimes I feel like maybe the characters are so mobile it's redundant. Yeah, possibly. But expertise reposition is so powerful because, like, you can swing the scoring that your opponent was just not planning for because you can move away, right? And now you're winning a middle point or something. And they're like, wait, what's happening? Like, like, you know, so there's a lot of cool options with it. But yeah, I get the redundancy of all this movement, but I'll take it because they're pretty fragile. Yeah, that's a good point, Jesse, actually. So you're able to do that maneuverability during your opponent's turn. Nice. Offensive expertise melee is called blade. One to three, just a strike and a damage. Four plus a crit strike and a damage. 
Okay. I like the four plus. That's consistent, right? But and the one is nice, man. Like just the hit and the auto damage, but the two three range that's where it's rough, right? Like you're you're kind of in limbo there. Yeah, definitely high ceiling. And then the bow. So this is kind of their primary method of attacking this range yeah. attack. One expertise is one hit. Two to three, two hits. Four plus again, similar to the blade in the sweet spot, is a crit and two hits. All right, they like to shoot from range. Looks good. Yeah, I'm not mad at it. Like. You're going to get one to two extra hits. It's pretty solid. Let's get to their tree. Let's Starting off with a pin and a damage. Solid. Second tile in, a shove and a damage. Pretty nice. Now from here, you can choose which third path you want. You can either do an expose and a damage or a recover. And then you culminate on the fourth tile, which is a jump and two damage. And then you end with two damage. So five spots either way with a maximum damage being seven. Not bad. Mobility, the fact that they can put Expose in their tree, I love that because then they're putting Expose with their coordinated fires while your other units are attacking. So they're just Expose bots in some ways, right? Which is great. And a shove two tiles in is not bad, Amon. No, I actually like it. If it's not going to be the first tile, then you hope it's in the second tile, right? Yeah. And once again, shoves from range are awesome because, I mean, you can kind of hold where you're at, push your opponent back. And another thing you mentioned on the last trees in this episode where it's like anytime I see a recover now, I'm thinking of that great mother identity. So it's like, Oh, well I got some damage through and then I got to the recover. Well, I got an additional recover from the identity as well. So it, the recover is not only just for them, but it's like be thinking about, you could just be triggering a second recover as well. Just to help keep them around more. So, cause spoiler, and I think you're probably going to want to play these with mother and maybe that's their primary place. I agree. 100%. Well, I'm on. Let's talk about this box as a whole. We've gone through all of them. How are we going to play this list? I think we talked basically mainly on these points already during the mother section, because it's weird. This list is all about enabling mother and mother enabling her team. It's like this life cycle of the planet of Dathomir. It's great. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's cyclical in a sense. And so you're right. We did kind of chat about this at the beginning, but how do we play the Witches of Dathomir box? Okay, very simple. In theory and practice, it might be a little bit harder. But the idea here is to maximize Mother Talzin. How do we do that? Well, we need to be aggressive, right? Mother Talzin's entire identity is incumbent upon the fact that your characters are being wounded, which means your opponent can directly control her identity, which means if they don't want to wound your characters, if you're not giving them a good enough reason to wound your characters, Mother Talzin is not utilizing her full ability suite. So how do you do that? Well, you kind of have to take the fight to them. And so Dathomirans particularly... In some dark side force lists, as if we're going to just group them by force, preference is all about controlling your opponent through attrition. Darth Maul likes to do that. Asajj likes to do that. Savage likes to do that. Mother Talzin likes to do that. Now, that being said, I think Mother Talzin, even when not getting her identity off as much in the game, is still quite a potent piece. And that is primarily because she is just such a monster at range damage output, but then also manipulating hand. Like your yes. opponent is always going to be concerned about that. Like, when are you going to pull that trigger? And if you save two force, it's kind of like the Jedi mind trick scare that your opponent has, yep. where it's like, okay, they're holding on to two force. When are they going to pull it? When are they going to pull it? They're not going to be able to plan for everything, and you're going to figure out a great time to use it. So my whole thing is don't worry about your opponent wounding you. Yeah. Win the game either way. Yeah. Right? That's how you got to play Mother Talzin. And Savage helps with that. Savage is going to go in there. He's going to expose himself. He's purposefully, I'm sure, designed with less because you should be able to take him out. If you're able to wound him, then that's just making Mother Talzin do her thing. And that's probably why the Night Sister Acolytes are only are seven stamina as well, right? So focus on the Mother Talzin 
ability as a whole. Now, in addition to that, you're going to want to bring Dathomir and Synergy, and the Night Sisters are great with providing that expose for both Talzin and Savage. But what you really, really want is you want at least one other primary who's Dathomirin. Yep. And so for sure. my recommendation is always Maul, unbiasedly. Yep. And that's because Maul just has that force mitigation in terms of cost. Yeah, it's support to your team inadvertently, right? Because mm-hmm. he's he's reducing the cost of your economy. Like he's making your economy easier. Just straight up. The game is easier economy wise. Yeah. But and I, I completely agree with you, Amon. I think he's like the obvious choice because Maul's nuts as it is. But Asajj in this list is extremely interesting as well. It's a little bit more tricksy, a little bit more control, right? Asajj is very interesting as well because she's still able to put out a lot of damage. But I do think Asajj is a little bit more of a selfish character. I mean, if we're going to take a look at her ability suite, she is a little force expensive, right? Which we talked about in the Asajj episode. If you're going to go with a character that with Asajj, you might kind of want to save her for last because yep. you want to spend that force towards the end. Or you can just blow it all in the beginning. But identity, too, is also very selfish. It's when she wounds enemy unit, then you know you get to refresh force and you get to yeah. dash and recover and do all that. So that could be a way to work as well, to be honest. It's cool that she's like healing when she's doing her identity, right? With under mother as well. Because if she dealt damage to him, you get four recovers at that point instead of three. Whew. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, but really, this box is all about maximizing Mother Talzin. I don't think you need Savage to do that, personally. Like, I think you could run another character instead of a Sa- uh, Savage. Sure. If that's what you yeah. really wanted to. But I do think you need the Night Sister Acolytes, and I do think you need another Dathomir primary. But. I can For also sure. see you playing a very aggressive list and just maybe putting Maul on the middle line and putting Talzin on the midline and she can just blast away as well. But that also exposes her as well, but then you can switch to Wrath. So there's just a lot of cool things you can do here. I've just been playing a lot of Mother recently, and so that's why I'm singing her praises a little bit because yeah. she is that good. She is. I've been playing her lately too, Mon, and haven't been having a blast. Like a ranged primary is just so unique in itself, right? Like it's just a unique part of the game at this point in the life cycle. I'm sure that will dramatically change. And AMG's made that apparent that it'll change with Cad Bane and Queen Amidala around the corner, right? But ranged primaries, it's a different playstyle. Additional, you said, I'm, I also like how these Dathomirians can like put out conditions really well. They've got a really strong condition game. And like you said, they've got aggression, but then they're fragile for the most part, right? I say fragile, I mean more fragile in the way of their defense dice. Like, Savage has an incredible health pool, but his defense dice are bad, right? The Night Sisters, not a very good health pool, okay defenses. So it's like, they are about all aggression, but a lot of it's conditions as well, you know? And little sprinklings of control, which I really like. Like Asajj's force push, like Great Mother's manipulating hand, you know, all this type of stuff. I mean, we've even talked about Maul's got some of the best control in the game, right? <laughs> with his pull. So I like that they've got a little bit of everything on their team, but they do have weaknesses. Yeah. And I think that's the hallmark of good design. I mean, they're fair, but yeah, I think the Dathomir and Surgy really comes to life with this box. I think we always were like, you know, Maul and Asajj, they both have Dathomir. And what does that mean? What does that mean? And we finally seen it. And I'm excited to see what future Dathomirans come out if they do. And I think ultimately the package of picking one of the two existing primaries and pairing them with Talzin is a sound strategy. And I think you're really going to like the fact that the Dathomirans as a whole, if we're looking at all the units, offer a wide variety of control, whether it's through attrition or through their enemy movement abilities like Maul and Talzin exhibit. But if you really want to just play murder your opponent, Asajj, Savage, Talzin with some acolytes seems pretty solid. Very thematic too. Super thematic. 
Awesome. Well, great summary, Amon. And, you know, I'm really excited to get this box on the table more. So we will report back to you guys when we do that very thing. Yeah, I agree. It's it's hard for me because I want to play more Talzin and I want to pair her with Maul. But I'm also actively trying to not play Maul as much anymore because yeah. I do feel like I'm starting to rely a lot on his force efficiency that he provides, but also his pull. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that I stay a well-rounded player and not just Maul it up 24-7, you know? That's good. Well, like you always know you'll return to Maul too, right? It's like me going off Obi-Wan. It's like... There's no fear of that, right? So might as well get ourselves out of our comfort zone now, which is what we're doing. Exactly. Well, I think that is going to cover the episode as a whole. And I guess we'll just close out the episode now. Hello There is supported by our wonderful patrons. Again, you can be a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash hellotherecast. Amon, I think you mentioned it in one of the most recent episodes, but we're starting to do giveaways in our patron discord as well in the way of terrain STLs and hopefully some other prizes in the future. So in addition to the league, which is starting coming up, there's some other features you can get as a patron and come hang out with us there. Of course, you can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch all at the same place at hellotherecast and email us at hellotherecast at gmail.com. You can also leave us reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts when you get the chance. It really helps us out, especially if you can't support us like financially or something like that. If you can just jump on and give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice, it gets the word out about Shatterpoint and gets more people into the game. And that's what we're here for. So thank you when you do it. Yeah, 100%. I appreciate that a lot. And you guys have been supporting us, man. We're in the 80s now with five-star reviews. So thank you. And so let's try that's to get awesome. to 100. Let's do it. Also... Big shout out to Lofiel for our show's music. Of course, you can find me and I'm on several places online. You can find me, Jesse, all at the same place on Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, Discord, at Jesse Aiken. That's G-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my show, Fury's Finest, about everything Marvel Christ Protocol and the Marvel Universe and Marvel lore. Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me, Amon, on all social media at Aman Who Games and on most pieces. If you're trying to reach out or chat, just look up Amon. I am the only one. I am a son of Dathomir. And I am able to create energy blades that are just as powerful as lightsabers whenever I want to. Perfect. Well said. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed this trip to Dathomir. It's a planet I really admire, like the design and just all this lore. We could have like had a whole episode just on like the planet itself and its lore, like without even getting these characters. So I'm glad we like kept that at bay, but we got, we sprinkled it in when it made sense. And yeah, I'm excited to get this box on the table, Amon. So if you guys have been playing Talzin, let us know your thoughts on her and how she's been performing for you. But until next time, may the force be with you. civilized.